Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. What we're going to see in our text today is the Spirit's work to lift the eyes of these believers from their circumstances to their God, to renew their faith and joy in being children of God. Now let's look at our text, and we will be reading James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Okay? Just stand with me while we read. James chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. James writes, Come quickly now, you rich who lack true faith and hoard and misuse your resources. Weep and howl over the miseries, the woes, the judgments that are coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and is ruined, your, and your fine clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up your treasure in these last days when it will do you no good. Look, the wages that you have fraudulently withheld from the laborers who have mowed your fields are crying out against you for vengeance. And the cries of the harvesters have come to the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. And on the earth... You have lived luxuriously and abandoned yourself to soft living and led a life of wanton pleasure, self-indulgence, self-gratification. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and have put to death the righteous man. He offers you no resistance. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now... That was pretty rough, huh? He was—he really came down on the wicked wealthy. Now, understand that God doesn't have a problem with wealth. He's the one that makes, that distributes it. He allows even the wicked to have wealth. If it weren't for God's allowance, they wouldn't even have breath. But God allows it. So James says, come now. And it's very forceful. He says, now pay attention. Come and listen. This is present imperative. Be listening. So there is emotion or force behind this. And it is, hey, listen to this. Those of you who have chosen to live apart from God. Now again, why is he doing this if the wicked wealthy aren't in front of him? Because you need to see the truth of this. Because you need to understand something. Even those among us need to understand something. Your life is eternal. Your life is eternal and you are destined for glory. And if you are looking at life in any other context, you have flat missed it. So come now. Look at the condition of the rich who seem to have it all. The wicked wealthy. Hey, listen. The issue is that strength and temporal things of this world and in the body will empower your flesh and cause you to reject faith. 
The rich are empowered to live in this life, to live apart from faith. The challenges of life are to provoke faith and reliance on God. So wealth is not inherently sinful, but living from wealth is. Relying on wealth is. Having your security in wealth is. I don't care what all of the prosperity gospel guys tell you. God is not securing you in this world. Do you hear me? God is not securing you in this world. And no, you can't necessarily have the security in this world that a lost man has. And so those of you who are looking at the wealthy or the wicked wealthy and saying, you know what, I think that'd be good. You are carnal in your thinking. You don't know who you are. You are distracted because you lust after the things of this world. The rich are empowered to live apart from faith. And listen, it's not just the rich. The individual who's highly intellectual. The individual who's very attractive. The individual who's powerful in personality. The people who are successful with people. They're empowered to live apart from faith. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be a Christian if you're attractive. It means that you have a choice and everything that would empower your flesh will empower you to live apart from faith. Anything that you can say, my flesh has, my flesh can glory in, my flesh is able to, is you stepping away from my God who is able. It's you stepping away from dependency. If it is not held as God's and used in humble submission to his will, then it will empower independence and pride and self-indulgence and entitlement. Now that is the way of flesh to take what God has given you and see it as belonging to your humanity for your humanity. Now notice James doesn't say that the judgments might be coming. You could possibly be judged. He doesn't call them to weep in repentance. But in the miseries that are coming, present tense, that means that there are miseries ongoing and that are going to continue to come. And there is this loud mourning and weeping. It is an anguished cry. Because what has happened is a realization that they need a God. They need a Savior. Because their prosperity in this life has caused them to believe that they don't. Now let me talk about that a second. Needing a Savior is not just for eternity. Needing a Savior is for every moment that you take in air. Needing a Savior is waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, I am wholly dependent upon you. Lord, I need your life. I need your presence. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your truth to be ever present in my soul. I need to walk in the fullness of your love. I need to walk in the reality that you are with me. I need to walk in the purity of your Son. I need my mind to be focused upon you. 
I need your salvation from this world. I need your salvation from this flesh. I need your salvation from the things around me. I need your salvation from the propensity to live independently. Start the day where you are in absolute and complete dependence upon Him. Because what happens when we get angry, when we get frustrated, is we realize that we have to be dependent. Right? You know, things are out of whack, God. I'm coming to you because, you know, I just, the job didn't happen. I'm coming to you because my body's failing. Lord, why am I in this place? Lord, why did you do this to me? Lord, I need you to come and intervene in this. I need you to set things back to normal. Lord, why am I in this condition? And you know why you're complaining? Because you don't believe you have a God. You believe that you have a part-time rescuer who'll come in and lift you out of it all. And he may very well do it. But why don't we just start with the idea that we already have a God and that the only reason you are where you are is because he allowed it and that he has purpose in your circumstances and that all the things that are happening to you are calling you not to complain, not to cry out, but to provoke faith in believing that your God is bigger and greater than anything that you might be enduring in the moment. How about that? Now, initially, I know some of the believers in that group probably thought, man, I can't wait. They're going to get theirs. I mean, there was probably a great deal of resentment involved in the fellowship towards the wicked wealthy because we, we've had a clue that the wealthy weren't treating them all that great. James has mentioned it before. But there was no doubt a great deal of resentment towards them, but there was also envy. If only I had their money. If only if I could afford some of the things they have. The accusation is always that God has blessed some more than others. That we are not as blessed. God must see them differently than me. And it was not unusual for the Jews of the second temple period to regard all riches as favored by God. The New Testament makes it clear, however, that wealth does not imply divine favor. With this attitude, we can adopt a sense of victimization, a lack of hope and trust. The greatest issue for them as they compare themselves and their circumstances to the rich is that they have seeded their souls in the flesh. Now James is tactfully moving their attention to the judgments of the wicked wealthy, to the condition of the wicked wealthy, to the temporal nature of the wicked wealthy, that their inheritance is in the corruption of their wealth. Now look. We are so incredibly blessed. So incredibly blessed. And you think I'm going to say, because we live in a free country. And you think I'm going to say, because we can drive nice cars. And you think I'm going to say, because we have good jobs. And you think I'm going to say, because you have a roof over your head, and you have food in your, you know, in your pantry. That is not at all what I'm going to say. If we had none of those things, the Lord God would look upon us and say they are blessed. He would call us blessed. 
In poverty, he would call us blessed. In sickness, he would call us blessed. In any condition that humanity can find himself, if that human has given himself unto the Lord and been received as a new creation and born again in the presence of God, God looks at him and sees the life of his son in the middle of him and says, that man is blessed. He is blessed. Also, James might have been referring to the destruction of Jerusalem predicted by our Lord in Matthew 24, 1 and 2 and fulfilled only a few years after the apostle wrote this epistle. James was written in 45, somewhere between 45 and 50 AD and Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Although the rich were killed and robbed of their possessions when Jerusalem was destroyed, the prophecy of James was not to have its full completion then. So James didn't know that, but God did. And that's not what God's warning them about. God's warning them about living to their flesh. God's warning them about interpreting the wealth of this world as being their blessing and coveting it. Are being resentful towards those who had it. He's warning them about living temporal lives instead of eternal lives. Now, he tells them what those who seem to be so privileged at the moment have to look forward to. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, Your wealth has rotted and is ruined, and your fine clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. You have stored up your treasures in the last days when it will do you no good. Now, there are ways that status was proudly displayed, just like today. And in essence, these things established identity for those who proudly displayed them. They said, this is who I am by displaying their wealth. And he begins with a present tense statement that their wealth has rotted and ruined. And he's telling them that their wealth is rotted and corrupt. In the Greek, the implication is that it is putrid, like a body in decomposition. It is the corruption of dying flesh that has made all that it touches begin to decompose, starting with the clothing that covers them. It's falling apart and will no longer hide who they are and their state of being, but rather reveals them. Do you see that? The world is so anxious to give credibility to the standing of this body, to the temporal life, There are many people walking around with their thumbs under their armpits thinking that they have won and struck a blow for their sense of what is right and what is just and and now the world's going to be a better place and we can do this and we can do that all in their own name and their own power. They think they've made something for themselves. But I want to tell you, man does not make anything for himself. There's only one creator. We don't need to get overly excited about the boasts of the wicked. We know who the creator is. And we know ourselves or should know ourselves to be eternal. 
Well, my health is failing. I'm eternal. Well, my job is closing. I'm eternal. Well, I'm losing part of my family. I'm eternal. Well, my... My situation is is so caustic, but I'm eternal. Now, what does that mean to me? That means that God will allow things in this life to decompose. That includes my body. He allows them to decompose in the same way that he is going to allow all the flesh that predeceases his return to decompose in the grave and then to gloriously contrast it with the resurrection body that he himself has made. And then in the sky they shall meet together the spirits and those resurrection bodies. What a contrast. That which will never fade. That which will never know corruption. That which will never know death. Like the body of Jesus. He is telling them that everything that they think they own or hold close or have a tight hold on is is literally rotting in their hands. Starting with the covering that they wear. It's falling apart. It will no longer hide them. Verse 3 addresses the foundation that they stand on. Gold and silver has corroded and will bear witness to their wicked use. This corrosion is the use of the things having been used to destroy and enslave the innocent and been spent in the pursuit of comfort and self-indulgence. They have stored up these things for their security and they, and continued prosperity and it will do them no good. When James 5.3 says, it, it is in these last days you have stored up your treasure. So, in reference to that, what is the last days? Well, we have its meaning in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. He says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, In these last days, he has spoken with finality to us in the person of the one who is by character and nature his son, namely Jesus, whom he appointed heir and the lawful owner of all things, through whom also he created the universe, that is, the universe as a space-time continuum. This verse is referencing the very termination of the times in which God is speaking to man. God speaks not through prophets, but in his Son, who is the Word, John 1. So the writer of Hebrews is referring to the incarnation of the son, God's Son at his first coming. This is when the last days began. Luke uses the same time phrase, writing in the last days, God says, I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. And that's in Acts chapter 2. A prophecy from Joel 2, which was partially fulfilled at Pentecost at the birth of the church. Obviously, Pentecost is related to the first coming and the ascension of Christ. Therefore, we can conclude that the last days began with the first coming of Christ and will end upon his return. The wicked only have what they can possess in this life. We are living in the last days. They began when Christ 
came to the earth. Now, I'm not going to ask you to get out your calendars, and we're not going to walk through, you know, a projection as to when that's going to happen. It'll be glorious when it does. But Jesus is here now. We don't need to spend a lot of time trying to look for his coming in the clouds. We need to start looking for his coming in our living. The wicked have only what they can possess in this life and that they can hold on to. Everything that they hold on to will waste them like cancer. That's a biblical prophecy. Everything that the wicked embrace and seek to hold will waste them in corruption. Why does this kind of talk bother us? Because it sounds like an Old Testament prophet, but it's not an Old Testament prophet. It sounds heavy and harsh, dark and difficult at times. But if you're having difficulty with what is being said here tonight, To whatever degree that this is causing you trouble, you can know you're holding on to the temporal. You're holding on to what you can embrace in this life. What frees the Christian is that we're not just saved for eternity, but that we are saved in eternity forever. We can walk with the confidence of knowing that no matter what you lose in this life, it is not important because you were never destined to hold on to it to begin with, including your own life. You can walk in this life with the confidence of knowing that every day that you are awakened and you take in air, it has purpose. And I know lots of Christians that have given up the idea that their lives have any purpose. They think they've sinned too much. That they've gone too far. They think that they're not physically capable. They think maybe that they're too old. Or maybe that they're too inhibited by their own personalities. They don't believe they can have purpose. But that is a lie in the face of God. Because you have awakened. You're here for a purpose. It is in this life that he provokes faith. And maybe it's you you are laying in a hospital bed and you can't move and you can't see the purpose. Well, if you turn your eyes towards him and recognize the faith that it takes to know him in that moment, you've just found purpose, haven't you? Yes, you have. You know what's cool about this? We can have to live in the judgments of man or our own flesh or the accuser's voice. We can recognize that every day we can joyfully go forward knowing that he is with us and he has purpose in us. Often we are bothered by this because we not fully embrace the eternal reality of our spirit. That's why we're so concerned with temporal comfort. This is not an Old Testament prophet, as I said before. This is the Spirit of God writing to believers reminding them that their reward and blessing is not in the comforts of this life. Now, don't you think that the Spirit of God has been listening to them, watching them, living in them, hearing them, seeing the bitterness, seeing the resentment, seeing the pain, seeing the hurt, seeing the difficulty of their living? And what does he do? He reminds them that it's not about this life. Look at the rich. 
The very people you envy, these wicked rich, look at what they have to look forward to. We're only here for a moment, for a brief time. And that brief time of your life, regardless of how long it may be, is packed as only God can pack it with the revelation of Christ. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.